Podcast One. I do love it when I get to chat with a business owner who's successfully competing with a huge corporation. It's a David versus Goliath episode 498 of the award-winning small business big marketing podcast. Yeah, I say, welcome to a small business marketing show where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Timbo Reed. And welcome back to your weekly dose of marketing muscle. I'm your host, Timbo Reed, you, infinitely more importantly, you're a motivated business owner and you are ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it deserves to be. And that's exactly what we do around here. Plus, you can join our free Facebook group for some ongoing accountability and support. Just search for the Small Business Big Marketing Tribe on Facebook. Big episode today. Spriggy co-founder Mario Hazanarcos shares how he's built an online banking app for kids that in just five years has surpassed Commonwealth Bank's Dolomites brand. That, for overseas listeners, that is no mean feat. That's a significant brand that's been around for decades. And I'll tell you what's happening for episode 500, or actually remind you, because I told you last week. As per usual, team, there's marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Thank you to all of you who have emailed me in questions for episode 500. If you didn't hear last week's episode, what I'm doing in two episodes time is turning the show over to you. You can email me a question, maybe some constructive criticism, maybe a thought on what the show's done for your business. You can email me an audio file if you want to, or I'll read it out on the air. But either way, send it to tim at timreid.com.au. Put 500 in the subject line, then I'll know what it is. And I'll be emailing my list as well, putting it out on social media and uh, getting as many questions um, as I can, really. And that can be about, well, be about my personal life, maybe. Uh, it'd be about my business life, definitely. You might have a question about your business, for sure, or something else. But we're going to turn episode 500 over to you. Righto, let's meet today's wonderful, successful business owner. Mario Hazanarcos is the co-founder of Spriggy, an online banking concept to help parents teach kids about money. <laughs> Boy, oh boy, do I wish I had that as my kids were growing up. Since launching in 2017, Spriggy has enjoyed huge success, opening over 400,000 accounts and helping countless Australian families set their kids up for financial success in what you've got to say is a digital future where like cold hard cash is unlikely to exist in any great amounts. Prior to founding Spriggy, Mario worked in investment banking for seven years uh, with breaks to pursue projects in technical diving and mountaineering. He holds degrees in quantum physics. He's a smart fellow. Quantum physics, computer systems engineering, and international relations, and has a passion for using technology in education to change the world. I started off by asking Mario to explain his unconventional career so far. 
I think like a lot of people who start their own business, I have a pretty short attention span. Oh, welcome, uh, welcome to that you know, club. I certainly share that with my business partner. <laughs> um, I come from a not so well-off background. I had a family who was really passionate about education, especially my father went to great lengths to emphasize how important it was to get a good degree and get a good job and, and, and certainly walked that path. And we've got a lot of opportunities in life as a result. And I think when it comes to uh, physics, it was just something that I loved growing up. And uh, I was also had to do my physics PhD, but as it happened, uh, there was a break between when I would finish in Australia and then start my PhD in the Northern Hemisphere. And I wanted to travel more than anything. I had no money though. So I got the highest paying job I could find, which happened to be working in finance. And then serendipitously, it was the same time as the financial crisis here in Australia in 2008. So that was a whole interesting time. I got carried away with that. And I circled back to some of those travel aspirations a little later. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here, but um, you were you kind of satisfying, which many of us do in those younger years, you're satisfying a need of your parents as opposed to pursuing something that you truly wanted to do? So you went and did your, your quantum physics and, you know, ticked all those boxes? Look, I think that's certainly a part of it. Uh, we live in pretty extraordinary times. Uh, there, we live in an era now where – Pretty much anyone can get their hands on really accessible technology and build awesome businesses. I, I talked to people who maybe started their business 15, 20 years ago, and it was a very different, very different thing back then. A lot of the off-the-shelf pieces that we use to build technology businesses today didn't exist back then. And I think I had to go out and learn that a little. Like I grew up in a time where probably the end of the era where the best thing you could do with your education is go get a job at a multinational firm and climb the ladder and I think it took me a few years to realize for myself that there's actually this whole world of opportunity out there on its own, that we live in these times when kind of anybody can make anything. And that's so super exciting. I, I almost feel like I wish I realized that when I was 21 instead of 31. Yeah, so Mario, like I've got a 21-year-old son and only this week we are sitting down together and having a discussion about how to make the most of this incredible era that we live in. Like he is growing up right in the middle of a time when he can make money online from a, a number of different ways. He's a photographer, a photographer, so he's got an offline business, but we're going to have that discussion. And, and you're right. I mean, you can start businesses that you couldn't have started, you know, 10, 20 years ago. We can do marketing that we couldn't have done 10, 20 years ago for, you know, the cost of not a lot of dough. It's incredible. They're very true. They so, definitely see the same thing ourselves. Yeah, love it. Well, we're going to talk more about that, but let's talk about where the idea for Spriggy came from. Who or what inspired it? Well, my business partner and I at the time were working in that investment banking job, and I think we were of this – was right in the middle of a financial crisis, right at a time when there were so many acute things happening in the system and a lot of people experiencing distress from not – having literacy with their money, not being familiar with the financial products that they use. I mean, we've seen everything that ha has happened here in Australia with a, a recent investigation into the conduct of Australia's banks. And there were a lot of people really worse off because their financial literacy was really low. And living in an era of uh, technology emerging to really change the way financial services work, we thought, why can't? my bank account be as smart as my Netflix account or my Amazon account? Why can't my bank account help me make better financial decisions and be happier about money along the way? 
Uh, so that's the idea we came together on this idea of like, let's build better financial products for people that make them happier about money, such a source of stress and anxiety. Uh, and what's the one financial product that everyone uses? Well, it's a bank account. So that's where we started. Our original idea was to do it for adults, to work with people like us, our age, 20s to 30s, to give them a better bank account, to help them make better decisions. Uh, that would only be a short-lived idea. We, we moved very early in our journey, pivoted over from working for adults to working for kids uh, because we realised that if you wanted to make a difference to the way people made financial decisions, you had to start a lot younger and you had to help parents help raise more financially healthy kids. And, and that was how Spriggy was born. So how does Spriggy work? The Spriggy product that we have today is a prepaid card for young people ages 6 to 18 with a mobile banking app that parents and kids use together. So both parents and children have their own separate logins. Parents can link any bank account or debit card to add funds onto the Spriggy platform. And from the Spriggy platform, they can pay pocket money to their kids. They can see where they, their kids are spending. They get live push notifications with uh, information about the transaction, including where it was. Uh, they are able to set up savings goals for their kids, so money that's segregated and protected from spending. The kids themselves have their own app login, so they can set money aside between spending and saving. Uh, they can complete chores to earn extra pocket money. The cards themselves are protected from spending and age in appropriate places. Uh, and together, uh, parents can uh, give links to family and friends for them to pay money onto the kids' card. Uh, we've got functionality that helps parents uh, who, who are separated and have joint custody of a child be able to manage pocket money. It's really a, a way for parents to safely give kids the responsibility to make their own spending and savings decisions, but doing it in a way where parents get enough supervision that they can be comfortable that uh, their kids are safe at the same time. It's not a community service, Mario. So how does Spriggy make money? <laughs> well, the... Uh, we, we're big believers that you can make a positive difference in the world and be profitable at the same time. And a profitable business is one of the most, one of the best ways that society has to organize a whole bunch of people to, mm -hmm. to do something really important. Uh, the, right now we charge a subscription fee to our families who use the service. So parents will pay a $30 annual fee after they've used the product for a free trial period. Uh, and it's always been really important to us for the way that Spriggy makes money. Mm -hmm. to be really clear and transparent for our families. Financial services is riddled with a whole bunch of service providers, for better or worse, who make their money in really opaque ways. Uh, we've always wanted to build our product in a way that was really clear what parents were getting and what they were paying for it. Uh, and that subscription fee has been very successful today. Uh, so just to be clear, it, it's 30 bucks a year uh, for the, mm -hmm. the parent pays, and that's Spriggy's revenue? That's right. On wow. a per, you pay thirty dollars per child account. So if you have more kids, then it's a higher fee. But yeah, that's that's the, that's where our revenue comes from. So very, really interesting. I only watched uh, last night on YouTube this shop in New York that sells dollar pizza slices, and uh, the two brothers who okay. own it. It's, it's called Two Bros in New York. And I, I thought I've got to interview these guys because it's a volume based business. They have to sell a hell of a lot of pizza slices every day, you know, to make a decent living. Uh, very similar business. Uh, Spriggy's a very similar business. You must have to have a lot of members in order for it to be uh, cash flow positive. Yeah, that's right. I mean, our mission, our vision, Spriggy, is to bring it to 
as as many families as possible. We've launched here in Australia, and since launching three years ago, we've added four hundred thousand wow. parents and kids onto the platform across hundreds of thousands of families. And for us, we're just getting started, uh, both in Australia and then one day to take the whole operation overseas. And I think that's important to our mission as well. If we want to help raise a generation of healthy kids, both here in Australia and overseas, uh, a part of achieving that is going to be taking our product really widely and making it accessible for as many families as we can. You mentioned the Banking Royal Commission that we had in Australia recently. Um, I imagine, and you say, you know, you're, you're operating in a very transparent way, not a, not opaquely, as as many of the other financial institutions are. What else has the Royal Commission kind of forced you to do or encouraged you to do uh, from a distance? Because you weren't part of the Royal Commission, but you've obviously been watching it with some interest. Yeah, that's right. I, you know, I think that the difference it makes the most for us is right on the ground. I, I think how it affects everyday families' perceptions of financial services companies and whether those companies have their best interests at heart. You know, an idea that we talk about a lot at Spriggy is the difference between different kinds of trust. Um, I think financial institutions have historically been thought of as very trustworthy institutions. Uh, but there are different kinds of trust. There is institutional trust where you believe that if you put your money in that bank that you'll be able to get it out tomorrow and that's a uh, a very serious matter and there are regulators in Australia wholly devoted to ensuring that that remains the case and confidence in society remains high. But there, in modern times, there's a different kind of trust. Uh, it's popularly called associative trust in financial services, this idea that uh, not only is my money safe, but the institution who holds it has my best interests at heart. Uh, and that's a very different kind of trust. And I think uh, if the Royal Commission taught us anything, it's this idea that modern financial institutions, at least the incumbents, are very low on associative trust. Very. There's this widespread and widely held distrust that those institutions have their best interests at heart. And I think that's an opportunity for new players. That's a place where if you can prove that you really are built for, in our case, the families that we serve, uh, you can earn a special place in their life much more quickly than you might have. And I think the Royal Commission only compounded that view that was emerging well before it started. So you're coming with Spriggy, I mean, five years old, so clearly, and with, what is it, 400,000 parents and kids, uh, you are established, but you are coming off a very low bar in, a, in an industry where establishing trust is critical and I imagine very difficult. Now, I've spoken to many e-commerce businesses over the years on this show. One of the things that they do to establish trust is various trust icons on their website, whether they be, um, you know, a Google partner or whether it be, you know, guaranteed overnight delivery or, or whatever it may be, um, uh, reviews, testimonials on the website. What are the kind of fundamental things you've done with Spriggy? Because it's not a... I mean, uh, with all respect, it's not yet a household name. Um, not yet. Uh, not yet. Uh, so what have you done to establish that trust very quickly? I think it's an excellent question and, and speaks really to the heart of, uh, of, of how we've been able to get the foothold as quickly as we have in our market. I think first and foremost, it's built from the, the team and the mission out. And we've always been really clear about why we do what we do. Uh, and maintaining our independence in almost a, a, 
a way that reverses expectations. Being clear that we're not associated with any bank has gone a long way to getting uh, people to consider us. And then after that, I think your trust really comes from your product. Uh, we've always taken it super seriously. How important it is that the product works as expected all the time. The we're talking about digital about digital pocket money, which for many families is maybe ten dollars a week for a child, and that's a comparatively small amount of money, but it's in a place where there is absolutely no room to get it wrong. If if you built a product that would occasionally uh, misplace mum's pocket money for their mm. son, and their son wasn't able to buy lunch that day, the any hope that you had would have of building trust with you families evaporates so we've probably gone slower than we would have liked because that was always non-negotiable for us it was always super they you know in startups they like to talk about build fast and break things that's true until the day that it isn't and i would offer that making sure that kids get their pocket money or are able to eat lunch each day is one of those spaces where there's no room to break things we uh, and i think that builds out into the social proof that you get when you get that bit right and you genuinely solve a problem in families' lives, they're always going to be willing to tell their friends about it. And that is the highest kind of praise, that uh, a family would uh, put their name and credibility on the line telling another family about how much Spree had made a difference in their lives. If you don't start with a, a true purpose and you don't have a product that fulfills that purpose, it's very hard to have that authentic sharing mechanism which has done so much to help us grow so fast. Do you, do you seek that social proof, and if so, how? Very much. So we try wherever possible inside the the Spriggy product uh, where we feel like we've given a good experience to families to encourage them to review Spriggy. So, I mean, if you jump onto the iOS app store, you'll see tens of thousands of reviews for the Spriggy product. Wow. Uh, and it starts to look weird, right? Like I, there are, if you put the Spriggy banking app next to a major bank's banking app, you'll probably see that we have 10 to 100 times the amount of five-star reviews that they do. Uh, and that's a function of the fact that building that social proof has always been important to us. Um, it's super important that it's authentic. Uh, you know, I guess there's a handful of tactics you could pursue to just drive a headline number of reviews and that's it. But that's never really – it's been super important that when people do – share their story about Spriggy, they do it in a way that, that's real for their family. It takes more time and effort to do it that way, but then it starts to build this swell of um, of perception around the product that only amplifies itself as you get bigger and bigger. Uh, so that's always been really important to us in, in, in driving those reviews. And I think being smart about building your product in a way that when you do offer a great experience back to families, you give them a prompt to go and tell everybody else about it at the same time. Well, it just goes and reinforces what I interviewed. I was lucky enough to interview Seth Godin uh, on the show about three weeks ago. And, you know, the best marketing is a great product and it comes up time and time and time again. So, you know, you do that and, you know, people say, oh, our best marketing is word of mouth. Well, my view is word of mouth's not marketing. Word of mouth's the result of great marketing or great product. So um, uh, I get what you're saying. I just want to finish that discussion around trust because, again, you're operating in an industry that you must get it and establish it and hold it very quickly. But I think we all 
operate in industries where we want people to trust us. Can I um, put some words into your mouth by saying other ways you have developed trust at Spriggy? Um, it's a very I, I was I went to sign up. I obviously didn't go through the whole process because I don't have kids of the age that you're talking about. But it looked to be well, the, the website's beautiful. The actual visual branding is beautiful. You didn't, listeners, uh, Mario didn't pay me to say any of this. These are my observations. Um, <laughs> it looked to be a very frictionless process in signing up, almost not fun, but an enjoyable process in signing up. Um, and the cards that get sent to the kids um, – uh, have images of the, the stars from Frozen, from Star Wars, from DC comic superheroes. I mean, all this, I guess, as well, have, have been little tactics, not big tactics you've used to garner trust. Yeah, I think you're really right, Tim. The, we were drawn to the idea of uh, customising cards by our families. Uh, we had lots of uh, mums and dads speaking on behalf of their, their kids saying, gee, it'd be really cool if they could have their favorite character on the card, mm. uh, or they could, uh, 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 make a card for themselves. And the, when it came to those particular characters, I, I'll probably admit that we were really blown away by the response that came from, um, offering those special card designs. And in retrospect, it looks really, really obvious. I think that, yeah. uh, Adding adding a trusted character to the to one of the key parts of the product would go a really long way to build a card. I think uh, my co-founder once described it as, um, "If Batman thinks it's a good idea, uh, it must be." And uh, I I think that's really wrong. True. I I think it on its own uh, it's not enough, but I think when it's combined with a product that really solves a genuine problem and has a, a, a really a really authentic purpose to helping families teach kids about money uh, anything that can help get the kids involved and increase their excitement levels will bring mum and dad along uh, it's been tremendously successful promotion to date and, and I think we'll be seeing a lot of it in the future I have no doubt I mean you buying the rights to use the images of those brands I just mentioned I mean that says so much. I mean, to me, that's immediate trust. It says these guys are big. They're not mucking around. And, you know, to, to, to Joe Public, they don't understand the concept of licensing. They may, for all intents and purposes, mm-hmm. just go, wow, these guys are associated with Star Wars, you know, with Superman. This is cool. So, um, yeah, I think a, a genius move. You're listening to the award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Show, and we're chatting with Quantum physicist, uh, used to be an investment banker, now Spriggy co-founder, Mario Hazanakos. Mario, the name Spriggy, talk to me. It, uh, we actually started our project with the, with the code name Piggy back before we had a, our ah. presence in market. I think there was a sense that we got from our early customer validation that our parents were really looking for a, a modern version of the piggy bank that simplified a lot of our own childhoods when it came to learning about money. Uh, and I think we wanted what we did to tell a story uh, that was a little more modern uh, and a little more appropriate for the age that our kids are growing up in uh, with Spriggy. So it's a a portmanteau of the words spring and piggy, uh, combining the idea of something that's new and and youthful and and, and more relevant for the modern age uh, with something that played a big part in our lives growing up. Are you you happy with the name five years in? Yeah, we really are. It's... uh, you run out, I think, a lot of the, 
listeners to the podcast will have an affinity for this. You spend your life working on something for five years and it becomes like a child. It's so important to you. Uh, we're uh, exploring some concepts right now around extending the brand to some of the uh, uh, aspirations we have for, for building out the product to solve more and more of families' problems around money. And so we're considering aspects of touching up the brand and it's just amazing how much emotional connection you have <laughs> to a word and in our case a pig with glasses it becomes a big part of who you are so uh and i don't think you can ever predict how that's going to work before you start picking a name is stressful enough as mm. it is um i think if i take any lesson from it that one of the great things great things about building a business is that you get to chart your own path and whatever name you choose or branding you go with you get to make that your own along the way uh, and it feels like a, a part of me and i certainly know a part of many of the people in the business um so how do i feel about it it's very close to my heart i, I think you make a good point i mean we i've been i've been involved in naming workshops i've watched from a distance as other business founders name their business and it, it can be a bit heart-wrenching and you know you get opinion everyone's got an opinion uh, the reality is from what i can tell is that just give it a name a name that you're proud to tell others when they say hey what's the name of your business or what is it that you do but after that it's the energy and the love and the resource that you put into that name that's going to make it appealing and after all as i always say apple used to be a piece of fruit absolutely i that's wonderful advice tim and i wish i could time travel back to the <laughs> yeah, two days we wasted five years ago trying to come up with the name for ourselves I, I get it i get it so mario you're a quantum physicist alex your business partner he's a mathematician he's graduated in philosophy uh two smart blokes you've had a bit of a dream run in getting spriggy to market was there a moment when you've both looked at each other in the eye and gone oh hang on Maybe we should go back to investment banking. This just isn't working. I think in any ambitious venture, you're always going to have times when you feel like you're right out there uh, and things are out of control. And I th certainly think we've had our fair share. Uh, likewise, I think we've been very fortunate with how successful the business growth has been and, and how much of our success has been about being in the right time and the right place and being opportunistic about that. I think there's a wonderful aspect of having a business partner uh, for those people out there starting their own thing and doing it on their own. I have infinite respect. Uh, I think Alex and I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the fact that the days when I felt like all was lost, he was there to calm me down and tell me to just keep going. And likewise, that I'm able to do that for him. I, I don't, I genuinely, I don't know how Sole entrepreneurs do it. I have infinite respect for how they go about it. And I think that's one thing, a lesson that I've taken from this business of just how important it is that you have wonderful people around you. Uh, we're lucky enough now as the business has grown to have a team that's been with us for a while now. And uh, I'm able to lean on them much the same way I was able to lean on Alex in the early days. Uh, and I think that's, that's really critical that mm. those days when it all seems too much and you feel like quitting, I think are unavoidable. Uh, the best thing you can hope for is to to grow a strong, thick skin for that mm. and have people around you who can remind you that it's all going to be okay when things get hard. I, I think the way solopreneurs do do it uh, 
and I'm one of them, I operate, you know, by myself, is you, you do surround yourself with good people, uh, whether it be a formal coach or whether it be a mentor or a series of mentors. You may have a mentor around cash flow. You may have a mentor around HR. You may have a mentor around work-life balance and, and doing it that way. But yeah, I think uh, that sounds awesome. The fact that you two have got such a, such a, it sounds like an open and, and honest relationship. Do you have hard conversations with each other? Yes. Unreservedly, yes. Uh, I think one of the best skills you can get. I used to play roller hockey when I was really young. That was my sport. Roller hockey, seriously. Yeah, and I remember the first training session I ever went to. It's the first training session of the year, and our coach, who became a really important figure in my life as I got older, uh, his first drill in the first training session of the year was falling down and getting back up again. Not figuratively, like literally. We would all supposed to try and stay strong on our skates and one of the coaches would come over and push us over and we were only like 10 years old. So we all went over pretty easily. And then it was how to get up quickly. And I think uh, I would ask him about it years later and he's like, if you can't fall down and get up, then you've got no chance of ever being a successful player. I kind of think that's the same thing in business. If you aren't able to do the hard things and bounce back, uh, your ability to cope with all the things that will come in the course of running a business is really fragile. Uh, and, and I think one of the best things that I have in our, my relationship with my business partner, Alex, is that we can have tough conversations. And there certainly have been moments where I think one of us has walked out of a room exasperated uh, that they couldn't convince the other or there's been some friction that's been difficult to deal with. But the fact that you can be honest with each other when things are hard and that you can survive those moments and be stronger for them is just such a source of strength because mm. now there's nothing you can't do together. Uh, so I think being able to have that relationship with whoever you work with, whether it's your business partner or the key people around in your team is really critical. Mm. Mm. I, we have a, um, here we go, I'm going to get all personal here, but I, I have to because I'm a solopreneur. So, but but in my uh, in my personal relationship, my girlfriend and I have a, a thing we call awkward conversations. So we, we actually, you know, say, hey, hey, I want to have an awkward conversation. And it kind of, you know, puts a smile on the other person's face, puts the fear of God in them too. But it is, it's, a, it's a really nice practice to have because um, it acknowledges that not all the time you know, not all things are easy to talk about and sometimes you just want to raise things that you think are going to be hard. But often when you do raise them, they're not as hard as you thought they were. Anyway, enough counselling. Um, <laughs> tell me, um, Mario, your customers, you are an online business. You have no storefront yet. Talk about that. Uh, how well do you know your customers and and how do you sort of keep a finger on the pulse of what they're thinking besides just watching social threads? I, it, I think it's right now DNA from the very earliest of days. Uh, the way that we came to build Spriggy was a little indirect. We originally were building a better bank account for ourselves. That was the first vision uh, when we realized that that didn't necessarily have the product market fit we needed to really invest in. We moved over the parents and kids and in those early days, none of the people in the business were parents ourselves. We were always visitors to the land of the families that we served. Uh, and we were scrapping for survival at the time, just trying to find the right product market fit that would keep our business alive. And I think when you have that kind of existential desperation to understand your customers, there's almost nothing you won't do. Uh, we've done crazy things in the course of trying to 
understand and make our earliest families happy. I remember when we first stood up our product. There. So we had to pursue a reasonably novel path to be able to be a technology company that white labeled somebody else's capacity uh, to hold funds and issue cards. And that really hadn't been done in Australia when we started. And so there were definitely some kinks in it when it first got started. Sometimes the cards wouldn't necessarily work the way that our parents expected. Uh, I remember once there was one family uh, here in the greater Sydney area who was trying to uh, buy some makeup online for their young daughter and the card didn't happen to work. So we uh, just in an effort to make sure the whole thing uh, wasn't a letdown for them as experience, we went and found the very items that they were trying to buy online uh, from stores here in the city. Uh, they put them all in a gift box and, and drove the gift box out to them in person. Oh, that's awesome. And I think, and, and then we hung out in their living room and talked about what was important to them. And I think there's been hundreds of thousands really at this stage, conversations like that. I, I, I almost feel like an uncle to some, uh, to some families now because they've been early trial families from the earliest of days. And every time we've released a new feature, I look to change the product. We've gone and spent some time with them and you do that enough and you become a part of their lives. Uh, I don't think we would be here without that. Uh, I don't think we did it because it was some, uh, really thoughtful tactic at the time because we knew that that's what would be successful. We did it because we felt like if we didn't, we would have no chance. Uh, and and then it becomes a habit. And when you start to hire people, you start to select for people who share that habit. And when they see you do it as a discipline, then it becomes a part of what they do. And then you look back in retrospect and you, it's a part of your culture. But I, I just think we couldn't do what we do if we weren't obsessed with the people who we're trying to solve a problem for. I love that makeup story, Mario. It's um it 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 smells a bit of Zappos, <laughs> if you know what I mean. You know, the whole Zappos concept around customer service mm-hmm. uh, where uh, Tony Shea, who is the founder of Zappos, with those listeners who don't know who Zappos is, it's the biggest shoe company in the world, online shoe company in the world. They're based in Las Vegas. Uh, they have, I think for every single one of their um, online customer service representatives, they're given a budget. I'm going to say it's 200 bucks. Uh, it could be actually a little bit more, but they can use that 200 bucks with any customer at any time to, you know, um, to placate a problem. And if that could be, you know, sending them a pizza or sending them some flowers or, or doing whatever it takes that. to make people happy. And I think they're great. And they, they, they are. I mean, you do it not because you want to go viral or because you want people to talk about you. You do it because you want to satisfy that customer. But as a result, sometimes you go viral or sometimes you get talked about more than you ever thought. So it's <laughs> an awesome true. strategy. Tell me about, um, uh, is it possible in the future that we would see spriggy branches on high streets around Australia? I don't think so. I, I, you always hesitate to say no to things. But the reason I so, I'm so confident is I, we've never been asked once by a customer, <laughs> can I visit your branch? Uh, we've been asked for, customers <laughs> yeah, right. by, asked for things by customers many times. Uh, some of the things are repeated and they're right there on our product roadmap and they're a big part of what we're going to do. Some things are weird and wacky and at the fringes and maybe we'll do them someday, maybe we won't. I feel like I can say for sure nobody's ever asked, can I come in to Interesting. your branch? Um, <laughs> uh, tell me, where, how many times do you have to be asked by a customer uh, or a number of customers before you actually implement an idea? 
Is it, you know, is there sometimes when a customer says, hey, what about this? And you and Alex just look at each other and then I go, that's a no-brainer, let's do it. Or it's like, hey, that's the 25th time a customer has suggested we do that, we better do it. I, we have this rule that's pretty a uh, rule of five, that if you do something five times, you should stop and ask whether you should be doing it a different way. The, I, I don't think you could achieve the scale that we've achieved unless you have this reflex to automate and pros, turn into process things that you do over and over again. We just couldn't have gotten as big as we've gotten with the number of people that we've done it with without having that spirit at heart. Uh, I will say the number of things we've been asked five times for turns into a pretty big feature backlog. So I think you end up prioritizing mm-hmm. one thing over the other, but that rule of five has always been a, a pretty core principle here. And I think has served us really well. I like that rule of five past guest, Peter Lorimer a few weeks ago had the, uh, the rule of six, 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 uh, which was, uh, he was a real estate agent in Beverly Hills. He made six phone calls, six texts and six LinkedIn, um, messages a day to prospects. So we like these rules. We've got a new rule, the rule of five. So, um, Mario, just to finish up, Spriggy into the future. Um, Brand extension, you talked at the top of the interview about wanting to take it overseas uh, in its current form. Can you imagine Spriggy opening up kids' gyms around the country or a health food range or where can Spriggy go? <laughs> hey, gyms isn't a bad idea. Is it? The, I like that. Um, uh, I think we're very lucky in that our customer is super clear about what they want next. Uh, 90% of the parents who use Spriggy are mums. Uh, keeping everything on track in, in, in home life. And I think they're one of the wonderful qualities of mothers, aside from their patience and how hard they work for their families, is that if they want something, they will tell you and they'll be very clear about what it needs to be and how it can help them, uh, which makes our product process pretty simple. I think one thing we've learned since we've launched the digital pocket money products uh, and grown so fast is that when you solve that problem for parents, there's a whole bunch of other challenges they face in the course of raising kids mm-hmm. uh any parent will tell you that uh, it's an expensive undertaking um the statistics say that to raise two children in australia the median price uh, is eight hundred thousand uh, dollars and it's only going up mm. so in every one of those spending experiences and the money that gets saved for those experiences parents glue together a whole bunch of old worlds friction-filled unpleasant experiences and they do it because they love their kids and they stop at nothing to make their lives better and more hopeful. And I think we can do, we can deliver on that original promise that we started with all those years ago, that this, the services that you use to pay for things should help make your life better. And they should help make you less stressed about money. There is, we, we feel like there's so many things we can do in helping parents save for their kids' future or invest for their kids' future or helping them make payments in schools or simplifying the way that they do events or offering them uh, loyalty, cashback, discounts and rewards on the places that they spend. There are so many places where we can help parents have less stress and a simplified life when it comes Mm. to paying for the things that they pay for in the course of raising kids. So for us, the sky's really the limit. There's so much more we can do here in Australia. We've got some exciting new products coming soon. And I think when we prove that we can get that right, that we can solve more of parents problems that they face in the course of raising kids 
then there's a big wide world out there to take Spriggy to even more families around the world. Awesome. Mario, great story. Congratulations to you and Alex on your first five years. Everyone else, Spriggy, S-P-R-I-G-G-Y.com.au is where you can go and log in and uh, get your kids sorting out their financial concerns at a very early age. And, you know, if you're an uncle or an auntie, you can do the same. Give give a gift. Give the gift of financial security. I love it. Well done. Thanks, Tim. Much appreciated. Well, there you go. Spriggy co-founder Mario Hazanakos. Geez, I wish Spriggy was around when my kids were growing up. <laughs> they could be supporting me right now instead of the other way around. Anyway, here's what grabbed my attention from that chat with Mario. Attention grabber number one. I love how hard Mario and his team are working to ensure they're a trustworthy business. Having a great brand, a frictionless transaction process, great reviews and fantastic social proof are just some of the things you could be doing to ensure the same. And in this world of sameness, trust is a massive way to set yourself apart. Attention grabber number two. I love Mario's infinite respect for his business partner, Alex, and their willingness to have those difficult conversations. If you have a business partner, I would encourage you to sit down, eyeball each other, and ask the hard questions. And attention grabber number three, I love Mario's rule of five. If you do anything five times in your business, or life for that matter, then it's time to stop and ask if you should be doing it a different way. Well, that's what grabbed my attention. Whatever grabbed yours, be sure to block out some time and implement it. Before we wrap things up, just a reminder that you'll find plenty more episodes on the Podcast One Australia app, plus my entire archive full of ideas to grow your business over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. If you're getting value from listening, then don't keep it a secret. Be sure to let other business owners know about it. Next time we catch up with Outland Denim founder James Bartle, whose jeans are worn by the likes of Meghan Markle and Leonardo DiCaprio. It is an awesome story. This podcast was presented by me, Timbo Reid, produced by Matt Dwyer. Until next week, thanks for tuning in. Now get out there and take action.